Welcome back to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode of Opera for Everyone, what do we have in store, Pat? La Fanchula del West. The Girl of the Golden West. By Giacomo Puccini. And I don't know about you, but that intro music we just heard, that sounded to me like the beginning of a magnificent western. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Right? Yeah, and I was thinking like, wow, it's pretty amazing that Puccini. And so this had to be on the back end of his career, didn't it? On the back end, but not right at the end. That yeah, would be but ter- later in his career. Yes. Yes. So this premiered in 1910. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk a little bit about the premiere, but let's not do that quite yet. Let's tell a little bit about the opera itself. 1910 was the date of the premiere. Puccini lives until 1924, so it's not right at the end. Turandot is his final opera. That's the one Mm -hmm. that premieres posthumously for him. Oh, right. We've covered that opera here on Opera for Everyone. You can go find that in the archives for us. (laughs) But La Fanchula de West, I have to say one of the first things I wanted to find out when I was doing my research into this is why La Fanchula de West gets translated as the girl of the golden west right because I'm not seeing the word golden in there at all Fanchula I have no idea well it's because it is based on a play the girl of the golden west Mm. David Belasco the great American empresario Mm. producer playwright director very successful on Broadway American is the the author producer of this play a play which premiered in 1905 ah okay and which puccini first saw in 1907 and that's the basis so he's inspired by a by an american play and he says i'm going to write an opera about this yeah and i would i would use a much stronger word even than inspired he he uses the play he operafies the play right okay (laughs) yeah it's the same characters it's the same story it is that play mm-hmm. made into an opera. And uh, in fact, David Blasco is the director. The oh, he's the of director. Of the opera. I'll be darned. So he's doing the sets, doing the direction of the action of the opera. So did it debut in New York? Yes. Okay. All right. Let's just go ahead and talk about okay. the debut. Okay. Yeah. Because it's huge. It's absolutely huge. It is the first world premiere of a major opera at the New York Metropolitan Opera House. Oh, that's exciting. So 1910, that was the first time that an American opera had debuted. Or it's not an American opera, That a world premiere, but a world premiere happened. So this is the top. This is Puccini. This is the guy who did Manolosco, Butterfly. He's the top Italian composer. This is the Americans culturally arriving. Sure, yeah. This is ideally going to dispel any lingering feelings of cultural inferiority that Americans might feel. And hopefully the Americans believe any sense that the Europeans might have that there's cultural inferiority on this side of the ocean. Right. And Puccini himself comes over and he attends the the run-up to the premiere. He attends the premiere. He comes over with his son. I won't go into the whole story about why his wife does not join him, but he, he really doesn't want his wife along. She's caused too much trouble in the years preceding. Ooh. Oh, it's, it's a that, mess. That's for the, like, the follow-up 
podcast that we do on Puccini's personal life. Oh, well, we could do we could do a fabulous podcast on the juicy bits of various composers' life, but um, there they he, were the rock stars of their day, kind of. Well, let's just say his wife was a jealous woman, and she she unjustifiably drove a maid in their household to suicide with her accusations. Antics. Yeah, it was a very sad story for this poor young woman. At any rate, she was not welcome. Puccini didn't want her around. Mm-hmm. She stayed back in Italy. She missed all the fun because he, boy, oh boy, did he have fun. The the creme de la creme of New York society wined and dined him. Really? His adult son fell in love with a ballerina in New York. I mean, they the two of them just had a fine time Fairy in tale York. kind of New York extravaganza. Oh, they had a blast. They had a blast. And Puccini did enjoy the good life. So they had a wonderful time. The American West was just as exotic to him as any of these other places. Sure. Like he had enjoyed uh, treating Japan yeah, and Madame Butterfly. Exactly. And similar to that, he used some American folk tunes to influence the music as it goes mm-hmm. along through the opera. And he, he uses that to give an authentic flavor as he goes along. So it's kind of fun for us as uh, folks based in Wyoming to to see this American opera and the American West right. and all these Western traditions. Now, of course, this is set in California because it's set during the gold rush period. Okay. This is set during 49 into 50, okay. 1849 sure. into 1850 during the gold rush period. Mm-hmm. And so we get to see a little bit what life is like in a mining camp, in a mining establishment. Interesting. And this girl is Minnie, the girl of the Golden West. Her name is Minnie. She's our title character. And she's one of just two women who appear, the other one being a Native American. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Who's got a very minor role. She's essentially Minnie's maid. Okay. In her cabin. But she's there. But mostly it, it's the miners and the, the men who are in Minnie's life. She's, it's... I'm having thoughts about, was it Il Tritico, which was about all about Verismo? Like truth, was it Il Tritico? No, you're thinking of Cav Pag. You're thinking about the two operas that are paired together, which are considered the pinnacle of Verismo. Ah, okay. Just uh, stories of ordinary people. Cavalleria Rusticana. Right. And Pagliacci. And Pagliacci. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not Verismo. This is this is. I would put this in the mythic category of the American West. We could, you know, we'll get back and we okay. don't want to do too much chatting. Rabbit let's. Hole. We want to introduce some characters. Okay, and then let's we can, introduce some characters. We can do a little bit of chatting on that score. Okay, so Minnie, she's our lead. She's the soprano. Does, is she the? Is We're she... not going to introduce her first, okay. though. Where our first per, our first character that we meet just to set the scene is is Nick, and all the miners are going to file into because where where are you going to first? Meet people in a mining camp, of course. At uh, breakfast. At the <laughs> at the saloon, of course. Oh, oh I, I was thinking like, let's begin our day of work. We're going to meet at the breakfast place. No, you're going to meet in the saloon. Okay. And it's going to have those swinging doors that right. saloons must have. Minnie, of course, is the saloon owner. Copy that. The beloved saloon owner. Nick is the barman mm-hmm. there. And one of the exotic touches that Puccini added, because of course the opera is in Italian, because if you want a proper opera, it right. has to it be, has in, to be in, in Italian. Italian, even if it's set in California. But one of the exotic touches is they throw in some American words like, hello, Nick. <laughs> so there's some American words. They they use the word whiskey and they use the word hello. 
So do hey. they say it in an Italian accent? Because that's the... Well, you tell me. We'll okay. play it. Well, we'll actually, we won't play Hello, Nick, but you're going to hear Hello, Minnie later. So they say, Hello, Nick. And we get to see the men all file in. And once the men are there, we're going to get to know them a little bit, these miners. One of the things we will see with these miners is that they come from a variety of backgrounds. They all have hopes and dreams. And they're all, they're not just greedy people. They do want to strike it rich, but they're trying, again, this is a little bit of this romanticization yeah, of these they're miners. they're like trying to make their way or something, right? And they're trying to help the people back home. Oh. They've got mothers and fathers, they've got wives, they've got children, mm-hmm. and so they're trying to make some money to help those folks back home. And is this back home like back east, or is this back home? Different back- people. There are some people, even from Australia, who are in Oh, wow. The mining camp. So there are people from different parts of the world as well as back east. Okay. So one of the very sweet songs that we hear pretty early in the opera is, What Could My Folks Be Doing? So they're trying to think about what their people that they've left behind Mm -hmm. are doing. Let's listen to that one. Okay. All right. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Girl of the Golden West by Giacomo Puccini. Ragazzi, vi annunzio Jekwallas, il cantastorie del campo. La mia mamma, che farà? Oh, oh, oh. 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone here on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. On today's episode, we are listening to La Fanchula del West by Giacomo Puccini, Girl of the Golden West. I'm your host, Pat Wright. Keeley had to step away, but I am happy to carry on and keep you informed about the scene we have set. That was quite a mournful song we just listened to, and it is a part of setting the scene. Right in the beginning there, we had the swinging doors of the saloon open and the miners burst in on Nick, our bartender, who's cleaning up the bar, and Sheriff Jack Rance is sitting there playing solitaire, having his whiskey, looking like a composed and cool sheriff that he is. And they're trying to enjoy themselves with a little bit of poker, but there's a a pervading sadness and homesickness, which becomes even more pronounced with the song we just listened to, where they are remembering and thinking about what the folks back home, particularly the elderly folks, who they may know they may never see again when they hear this minstrel singing outside about them. And little by little, the men think about the people that they've left behind and that's the sadness in the song that you're hearing. One of the fellows even talks about his dog and how sad it's going to be if his dog doesn't even recognize him when he gets back home. There's also some comments that are made in particular the sheriff about the golden land and the quest for gold not always bringing happiness and the sheriff says the golden west is a cursed land. Nick, our bartender, who seems to actually have kind of a level head on his shoulders and realizes, anyway, his business that he's about is selling what the saloon has to sell. Nick just says gold poisons the blood of anyone who sees it. In fact, Nick is the man that a lot of the miners will go up to to find out about Minnie. Hey, do I stand a chance with Minnie? Ever the good businessman, when they go up to Nick and say, hey, do I stand a chance with Minnie? He just says, you know, I think you're Minnie's favorite. Sure enough, that that sells. That sells. And one guy buys a round of cigars for everybody. One guy buys a round of whiskey for everybody. So the homesickness gets to one of the miners, and it's so bad that he's, he's crying uncontrollably. They pass the hat around. And they actually take up a collection, these soft-hearted miners, enough of a collection to, to send him back home. That's the last we see of that miner. We turn our attention back to poker. And for anyone who's seen a good Western, you know there's going to be somebody who's cheating at poker. Sure enough, they find someone cheating at poker. They're about to see how they can kill him. Are they going to lynch him? Are they going to shoot him? But our sheriff, Jack Grant, steps in. And we get a measure of the man, Jack Rance. And he's like, boys, 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 calm down. I've got a much better solution. And he suggests that they just pin a card to the man's chest. And that'll mark him as the cheat that he is. Now, boys, if he ever tries to take the card off of his chest, then you can kill him in whatever way you choose. Let's listen to Sheriff Jack Rance. Andiamo, ragazzi, un po' di calma su, vediamo. Sì. La morte, e via, cos'è l'amor 
cos'è la morte? Un calcio dentro il buio e buonanotte. Son castigo più degno, datemi la sua carta. Sopra il cuore, come si porta un fiore, non toccherà più carte. E questo è il segno, se s'azzadassi a toglierlo, impiccatelo! Domani al campo tu spargi la voce! Oh! Ragazzi, siete buoni! Andiamo fuori! Vieni qua! Via! Bravo! Via! Welcome back to Girl of the Golden West, and that was Sheriff Jack Rance calming down the boys after they found a poker cheat. Well, just as he's got everyone calmed down and they get back to their poker, in comes a new character. It's the Wells Fargo agent. And one of his jobs is to make sure that money transfers safely, and so he is hot on the trail of a bandit, Ramirez. And he's talking to the sheriff, of course, about finding the bandit, Ramirez, and all the leads that there might be. He's following those leads, but he's come to Minnie's place to, to get, a little, get a little rest from that after giving the update to the sheriff. Rance goes back to the bar and he starts talking to Nick about Minnie, just like the other miners do, but Rance is much more self-assured than any of the miners. And he says, oh, Minnie, she will soon be Mrs. Jack Rance. And he's very confident that that's exactly how it's going to work out. And soon everyone turns and in the doorway, there's someone shooting off a rifle to calm everyone down. Sure enough, Minnie has arrived, and we get our welcome song. Hello, Minnie. Oh, grazie, Joe. 
Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. This is La Fanchula del West by Giacomo Puccini, Girl of the Golden West, and Minnie of the song we just heard, Hello Minnie, Is That Girl? This is Minnie's saloon, and she has come back to essentially the misbehaving minors causing noise, making a fuss in her saloon, and they react to her like misbehaving children who've just been chided, and, and they apologize to her, and they sheepishly try to pull themselves together and, and behave well, and one of them offers her flowers, and one of them offers her a ribbon, and one of them gives her a silk handkerchief, and even the Wells Fargo agent, Ashby, he gives her a drink and, and says, Well, Wells Fargo thanks you, Minnie. Everyone just adores Minnie. After all, Minnie's the woman that they all give their affection to. And Minnie just radiates sunshine all over them. They all adore Minnie. So some of the miners are in love with Minnie and dream of being her sweetheart or marrying her. Some of them see her as a sister figure. Some of them see her as a mother figure. But certainly they all trust Minnie. And in fact, Minnie is the keeper of the gold that they find. When they find gold, it's Minnie that they give it to. Minnie and her right-hand man, Nick. And it's really a sacred obligation for Minnie to guard that gold. She'll tell us more about it later, but that's the first glimpse that we get. And now it's time for Minnie to discharge another sacred obligation of hers. And she pulls out her Bible and her rocking chair and her reading glasses. 
and they gather around like little school children and she starts to tell them a Bible story and she says, where were we? And they don't get it right, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. She starts telling them a Bible story. But right in the middle of this Sunday school lesson, which, by the way, was also in Belasco's play, but it was in the third act. But Puccini specifically asked Belasco, may I please move this up to the first act? Because he puts it very clearly, a prime message of the show in this Bible lesson that Minnie gives to the minors. And she says to them, boys, I want you to know there's not a sinner in the world for whom a path of redemption is not open. May all of you know how to keep the supreme truth of love inside you. So this concept of the power of love that's central to the message of this story, of this opera, as it was to Belasco's play. It's a lovely, it's a lovely scene, and this is part of this romanticization of this West. This is not the rough and tumble world that you see of some of the more modern depictions of the West. Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. I'm your host, Pat Wright. And I'm Keely Heron. <laughs> You're not Keely. <laughs> How did you get in here into the studio? 
I met Keely out in the hallway. Ah, well, welcome, Greg. Good to have you back. It's good to be back. Oh, wonderful. Are you familiar with this opera, Girl of the Golden West? That's the John Adams opera, right? No, that, you know, the John Adams opera, Girls of the Golden West, had its world premiere about a year ago, but uh, this is over a century old. This is the Puccini opera, The Girl of the Golden West. Wait, wait. There's an opera called Girls of the Golden West, and there's an opera called Girl of the Golden West. You know, I actually found it confusing when I heard about Girls of the Golden West, because I got it confused, and I imagine a few other people did too, with... Girl of the Golden West and Girls of the Golden West. Not the same one. Not the same one. Story goes, I heard that Adams, who also just conducts operas, even ones that he hasn't written, was asked to conduct this. And he decided he needed to kind of update the telling of the American West. But this is an old-timey version of the American West. This has to be the only time that there are two operas with the same name by different composers. Well, there's a there's an S there. <laughs> Girl and girls. I was I was giving a lead in there because I think there's another one. Oh. Are you talking about Manon Lescaut and Manon? Yes. <laughs> Puccini's involved in both of those, actually. No, I think there's probably a couple more. Yeah? Really. All right. Yeah. There are actually, there are, there's, uh, there's another La Boheme, actually. So where are you in the story? Ah, yes, back to... Girl of the Golden West. We have just finished the Bible lesson that Minnie gives to the miners, and they all pay rapt attention when she tells them that sinners can all be redeemed. So there's an opera for everyone convention that you have to do one Homeric reference per show. Did you already do that, or do we need to do that? I uh, We have not done a Homeric reference in this particular show. We may, we may have missed a few, so you can throw in more than one. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you point out when the miners are homesick, that one of them is concerned that when he gets back home, even his dog might not recognize him. We did point that out, but we did not point out the fact that it was a Homeric reference. Because she's a little bit like Penelope, right, with the suitors, drinking the wine. Oh my goodness. And she's keeping them all on a string by, by rotating through her wingman. She is. Her Nick. affections, yeah. Yeah, well done. Yeah. Good Homeric reference. Very good Homeric <laughs> reference. All right. Yeah, all right. So, all right. So where are we? The, the the postman has just arrived, and you know. This oh is oh! I love that. I love that. I love that. That's the the Wells Fargo wagon song, right? Now it's you're gonna a, get everyone confused here because that is from a different show, and the Wells Fargo man is not the mailman in this case. Can he, you just do like a like just like a couple of? Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is a. Okay, that's from Music Man. That is not this. That's not this. And the Wells it's Fargo. It's all blending together in my head. The Wells Fargo guy, he's not delivering goodies he is keeping he's the agency he is keeping things safe for people he wants he's sort of advocating like hey guys deposit your gold with me this nice Which lady is kind of what wells fargo is doing now yeah good point yeah. good point yeah. yeah so you're saying music man is the aberration huh <laughs> he's bringing okay if, if if wells Fargo wagon is not from this musical is this where we get i left my heart in san francisco also not from this musical is that from any musical at all I think so. No. Hmm. Okay. All right. So the postman comes and he brings letters from home. We talked about the homesickness earlier when you were still parking your car, I guess, out in the parking lot. And the I letters... snowshoot over. Oh, okay. Well, that's a, that's a good way to travel around here. There's going to be snow later in the opera. There's a great art exhibit out in the hallway. 
You should go see that later. That's where I met Keely. Always, always. Or either that or the CD sale. Not today, though, huh? No CD sale today. No. No, that's once a year. Back to the opera. Stay focused. They're reading their letters from home, and they're, some of them are getting good news. Some of them are getting bad news. But Ashby, our Wells Fargo agent, who, by the way, he's a pretty tough customer. He gets a dispatch from the postman, which says there's going to be information at this other saloon from Nina. She's the one who wears the eyeshadow, right? Right. Well, they ask, hey, Minnie, have you ever heard of this gal, Nina? And she's like, oh, Nina. And she arches her eyebrows. She's the one who wears lamp black around her eyes to make her seductive. And you can see there's a real clear sense of disapproval at the kind of woman that Nina is. Well, eyeshadow. Yeah, that's where the trouble starts. <laughs> well, that's what that's what Minnie thinks. Remember, Minnie is the one who, with the, the Sunday school class here, so that's not the kind of girl Minnie is. So that's where... Well, then Minnie does meet a guy at a bar and invites him home for the night. Okay, you're racing ahead in the story. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet. Doesn't everybody know how all operas end? Isn't that the irony of operas? Well, this doesn't end like all operas, though. So you just hold on to that thought. (laughs) Please. So (laughs) they ask about Nina. And when she has information on the banditos, right? Right. Well, that's why Ashby wants to go meet her. But when Ashby asks the sheriff, Jack Rance. Because he's in hot pursuit. When Ashby asks Sheriff Jack Grants about Nina. He says, well, don't trust her. She's not uh, she's not an upstanding woman. And Ashby says, I'm going to ask her. Of course I'm going to ask her. I'm going to do anything I can to find this bandito. So Ashby is in hot pursuit, as you say. So with everyone distracted, Rance has a little time alone with Minnie. And what does he do with this time alone? Flirts. Yeah, he does more than flirt. He declares his love. All right. Should we listen to that song? Well, let me just say that when he declares his love, Minnie rebuffs him. Why? Well, Minnie... <laughs> He's the only one who's not covered with mining dust. Yeah, that's true. He is, show. A, he is a much sharper dresser than anyone. He does seem to actually shower and comb his hair, so he's got that going for him. Once Sheriff Jack Rance declares his love for Minnie, Minnie looks at him square in the eye and says, Well, Jack, what would your wife say about that? Do, do, do. Yeah, so she's... But that's not really why she's not accepting his proposal. Well, it's a piece of it. Minnie... But she's in love. Minnie may have a few... With someone else. Hopes and expectations with someone she met in passing, but that's... Minnie's seen rom-coms. She knows how this works. I don't think Minnie has seen (laughs) rom-coms. To tell you the truth. I don't think she has. All right, let's go ahead and listen to the song. casa son partito pelata ai monti sopra un altro mare non un rimpianto minni ma seguito non un rimpianto che potevo Nessuno mai mamò, nessuno amato, nessuna cosa mai mi diede piacere. 
Welcome back to Opera for Everyone, and we're listening to Puccini's Girl of the Golden West. And that was Sheriff Jack Rance letting Minnie, the owner of the saloon, know that he's left nothing that matters behind. Not his wife, not anything. <laughs> and I'm joined here by Greg. Thanks Hi. for joining us, Greg. Absolutely. So, what do you think? I like your eyeshadow. Cheeky. <laughs> I do have a question. Do you yeah. guys always wear your opera helmet when you're in the studio? Doesn't everyone? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have one. I have one final question before mm-hmm. we get back to the opera. Yes. The signs here all say no drinking in the studio, and you seem to be sloshing a dirty cosmojito there. I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Okay. We'll probably so, edit that out. Yeah. No, I drink my whiskey straight. <laughs> <laughs> Just like well, they that's, do. That's a great segue back to the show. Oh, what a coincidence. Because the character we're about to meet doesn't drink his whiskey straight. What, is he kind of... Maybe he's from San Francisco, huh? He throws a little water in. Uh, and that's how we know that he is a man of the world. He's sophisticated. They think he's not as tough as they are, though. Those miners, right? Right, but we're, yeah. we're supposed to believe he's just a little bit more sophisticated. Right. He's pretty tough, actually. He's pretty tough. And that, that next character... Who is that next character? Well, I'm, our, our regular listeners will know what I mean when I say he is our tenor. <laughs> we all know what that means. <laughs> that means he's twice as good as a fiver. No. No? Well, we know that tenors and sopranos make beautiful music together. <laughs> That's what that means. That's exactly what that means. Yes, our our tenor comes in carrying his saddle. And uh, and then what happens? Well, he comes in carrying his saddle, and in spite of the fact that Minnie has given Sheriff Jack Rance the most clear brush-off possible, Jack Rance is miffed that this other guy has wandered in, and Minnie's face absolutely lights up at the sight of him, and he feels like this guy has just spoiled his chance. Men, men can be so weird about stuff like that, honestly. <laughs> but 
our tenor comes in and the sheriff says, well, what's your name, Buster? And he says, my name? Uh, my name is Johnson. I'm from uh, Sacramento. Minnie's heart is a flutter. And they recognize one another because a few weeks back they've, they've met along the road. That sounds like that would be the meet cute. The what? Meet cute. What is that? In rom-coms, when <laughs> the man and the woman meet the lovers to be, it's called a meet cute. I'm not familiar with that phrase. Yes. Would the meet cute be, be in this opera be characterized by a song? Would they sing about their meet cute? I'm guessing it is. Shall we listen? Let's listen. Welcome back to Opera for Everyone. Well, that was our tenor, Dick Johnson, and our title character, Minnie, Girl of the Golden West, in Puccini's opera, Girl of the Golden West. And they have just shared a waltz together. 
Minnie having confessed that she's never danced at all before. And they dance while the miners, her students, hum out a la-la-la tune. And they've remembered each other. And they've confessed their love, haven't they? They have. Well, I think it's just good to take a minute to remember the time period and the setting that we're in. This opera's premiered in 1910, New York City, the social event of the season. This opera has not only been written by the premier opera composer of the day, Puccini, it's being conducted by the premier conductor, Toscanini, it's being directed by that great impresario, David Belasco, the one who bowled everyone over with countless shows, but he also bowled Puccini over with the play that was then the inspiration for Madama Butterfly. This then is the play that inspires or it, it becomes Girl of the Golden West. I want to talk for a minute about this phenomenon of the the myth of the Western or the fascination with the West and the West as entertainment, not just in the United States, but in Europe as well. Have you ever heard of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show? I have. You have, right? Do you think that that's something which predates this or something which follows this, this 1910 event? Follows. Incorrect. It predates this. <laughs> Buffalo Bill's Wild West show began in the 1880s and it tours Europe and it is a sensation in the 1890s and the last tour ends in 1906. Wow. So it's kind of amazing. And you know who one of the big stars of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show was, of course? Annie Oakley. Annie Oakley. And most of us know these days, we know of Annie Oakley because of that great American musical. Annie, get your gun. Annie, get your gun. Now, that is later in the period, which is why I think a lot of us think of Buffalo Bill's Wild West show as being something later on than the 1910 period. But the Europeans were were crazy for the American West as something of great fascination and exoticism. And so it's not surprising that this would be something that would be very appealing to Puccini and let's face it, it was exotic for the New Yorkers and the East, the people of the East as well. So kind of an interesting bit there. And again, as people residing in Wyoming, one of the pieces of literature that I read not too long ago, I don't know if you have, was The Virginian. That was 1902. Exactly, 1902. The Virginian was published. And that was published by a an East Coast American. And The Virginian as the name implies, is about a man from Virginia, but it's all set in Wyoming. It's set in the great American West. And the Virginian's an interesting piece of literature. And I use the word literature knowingly and purposefully because there were certainly novels about the American West which were popular, but they were what they used to call those dime novels, cheap cheap knockoff pieces of, of writing that were not, No one would dare call them literature, but the Virginian was really something that broke the mold. The Virginian was actual good writing, well plotted, and it changes the genre and it sets up what... What defines the genre? All the genre conventions that we think of as Western came from the Virginian. Yeah, help us out there with that one. 
smile when you say that, partner. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The school marm from the East. Yeah. Right? So think about it. Some of these things that we're giving David Belasco all the credit for this, and, and certainly he deserves credit for a great deal. But he is even using some of the genre conventions that are already being set in motion by these other forces at work from things like Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, things like The Virginian. And these are all things that influence, again, the things that that I can think of that are more familiar to me from popular culture, like all the great John Wayne movies and things that I think maybe are familiar probably to more of our listeners than those events. All that said, this is certainly not a Western. Uh, no. He's using, he's using. It's a Western West. setting. He's using the West for this opera as he used Japan for Madame Butterfly. It's just interesting to note how it historically in 1910, how it fits into this fascination with the American West. And so much of what we think of as the American West is highly mythologized. And Minnie is this highly, highly idealized, angelic woman. Well, she's the female principal. Yes. She's the essence of, of femininity. Uh, you know, the, the theme of this is not that love conquers all. The theme of this is that women are civilization. She's mother, she's lover, she's teacher, she's sister, she's friend, and she is all the forces of civilization. That's right. That's right. Although... I, I agree exactly with what you've said, but most everything you read will tell you is that love conquers all is the theme. <laughs> but I think but you're, it's I think you're correct. But it's not. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. So shall we get back to the, our to our plot? Shall we get Absolutely. back to yeah? So in the meantime, the guys they don't find the bandit. They don't find Ramirez, but they find one of his gang. And once they find one of his gang, they figure between this Nina gal with the heavy eye makeup and this guy from the gang, they're hot on the trail of Ramirez. And so they all go off to find the bandit, leaving Minnie alone to guard the gold. But her new sweetie, Dick Johnson from Sacramento, remains behind. And they have several songs to sing to each other where this falling in love just deepens and deepens because of the incredible coincidence that they re-met they were fated for each other that's part of the rom-com genre convention is that it has to be fate you're you're really working this rom-com thing aren't you i'm i'm not feeling it's, the rom yes i'm not sure so sure about the com it's 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 more a rom-com than it is a western and i mean we we, we can get to this later but there's a there's a very clear moment at which that's demonstrated Oh, please do get to that later. Okay. I'm, I may need help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Code, code word for that will be sinner mass. Okay. All right. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> Shall we hear them uh, sing a little bit more about their love? Yes. Let's do that. All right. So this is Dick Johnson from Sacramento and Minnie, our girl of the Golden West, in Puccini's opera, Girl of the Golden West, here on Opera for Everyone. 89.1 KHOL. Although I'm not entirely convinced he's from Sacramento. You don't think so? No. Okay. Contrai la mia petto di sentire mare e 
se visto che attorno un altro ceffo messicano. Dove andate? Il segnale. Ascoltate, che sarà questo fischio. In quel barile Johnson è un tesoro. Ci ripongono allora i ragazzi. E vi lasciano così. Ogni notte rimango un dio vegliorlo, a turno un po' per uno. Stanotte sono partiti con le feste di quel dannato.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron. And me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Eyeliner, not eyeshadow? You know, the lamp black is eyeliner. Yeah, that's right. What color eyeshadow are you wearing? Or are you wearing eyeliner? Eyeliner. Are the mics live? The mics oh, are hot. Uh, oh. oh, welcome back to Opera for Everyone. This is 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming, and you're listening to Opera for Everyone. This is Girl of the Golden West by Giacomo Puccini. I'm your host, Pat Wright, and with me here today is... Greg. We're so glad that you've joined us today, Greg. Good to be here. Yeah. Well, that little bit of that song we were just listening to, that was Wokely. Yes. That was Wokely, Native American woman, the only other female in this entire opera. Well, it's, this is Girl of the Golden West. You want girls, you have to go to the John Adams. You really do. This is a very, very male opera. In fact, uh, this is a kind of a special Puccini opera. He... He described this as his most masculine opera. And in his no, best opera. No kidding. He also described it as his very best opera, and he thought it was going to be a second La Boheme. And we all know that La Boheme is that great opera that keeps many opera companies in the black, the ones yes. that are fortunate enough to stay in the black. So he really thought it was going to be of that stature. It doesn't seem to be of that stature in the repertoire, but what a fun opera it is. It is marvelous fun. It is marvelous fun. Maybe. In some in some ways, because of its inauthenticity, it's marvelous fun. Right. The fact that Puccini thought that the role of the Native Americans in the Gold Rush was to be to a housekeeper, be the servants. <laughs> it's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean, honestly, in uh, now we don't know if we should blame Puccini entirely. Belasco and other people may have had a hand in this, but. But yes, they were... But it's deeply sad. The, the gold rush was not, not good for Native uh, Americans. No. It was their land, and no. they were uh, uh, brutally uh, shoved off. No, it's, it's really not. It's really not. But in, in this in, opera, they're, they've, all, they've all gotten gainful employment as house servant keep, housekeepers. Housekeepers. And, and, the, and they play... And butlers and chauffeurs, yes. Right. We, and there's two Native Americans who show up here. There's Wokley, and there is her man. Right. 
But the point, they, they have a minor point of the opera, which is yeah. uh, that their love story is the B-plot, which is here to emphasize how much many values, commitment in relationships, and commitment is a prerequisite to marriage. Well, right, because Wokley, her, her maid, essentially, in the house, the one who's keeping the, her little cabin tidy, in spite of the fact that Minnie keeps telling us how poor she is, she's there, she's got her little baby strapped to her back while she's doing the housework, and Minnie wants to know how it's coming with uh, her, her man, Billy Jackrabbit, and has he, has he proposed marriage? And she insists that, that they get married, and she even tells Billy directly, you need to marry this woman. And that happens is it, at, is it time for the opera helmet quiz? Yes. Are you going to... Oh, here. Please, take my helmet. <laughs> Let us know. And, and, and the point of the opera helmet quiz, if in I short, understand, is for me to summarize everything we said in the past hour. Please. Well, and even the stuff that you weren't here for, please. <laughs> what happened in the opera in the first half? Uh, set in the California gold rush, this is the story of a blonde saloon keeper, the desperado she loves, and the sheriff who loves her and wants him dead. You are succinct. <laughs> well, we're running over, so. <laughs> All right. Well, that was Act One then. <laughs> that was Act One. Now we're in Act Two, and this is interior and exterior of her cabin. Yes. And her little I cabin wonder, in the woods. I wonder who's coming to the door. Well, she's there and she's actually, she's kind of fussing around a little bit. She's making sure that her house is a little tidier than it usually is. And she's gussying up. She's straightening up her dress and she's... She puts on a new dress and she, she puts a, a rose yeah, in her bodice. It, it, and, right, right in her cleavage there. She puts she a pretty perfumed. little flower. I think you have to take a shot every time we, we hit one of the rom-com conventions. No, and this that's is, not going to happen. This is, <laughs> this is referred to as rituals of presentation. Rituals of presentation. Okay. Rituals of presentation. Well, yeah, she's, and she even makes the point that she's going to put on gloves, as a lady does, before her gentleman caller comes a-calling. And there's a knock at the door, and should we hear their song? Whoever could it be? Well, it's got to be one of two people because there's only a tenor and a baritone. Baritone. Yeah. Well, let's just hope it's the tenor, shall we? And it, and it is. It is the tenor. Well, we're not going to hear the first song that they sing together. We're going to hear the second song because, honestly, the flirting gets a little more overt in the second song. What's the second song called? The second song is called... Well, you know, the song titles are really just the first line where they break it up. And these this opera really does flow from song to song to song. But we're going to call it... Oh, if you knew. This, this does flow song to song to song, like that other opera about people obsessed with gold, The Ring Cycle. <laughs> Oh, 
to Puccini's Girl of the Golden West, and that was our title character, Minnie, singing with Dick Johnson. And they're having a lovely time, those two, aren't they, Greg? Well, they reunited at the bar, and she's invited him back to her place, and there is some very heavy flirting going on. It's actually kind of sweet and kind of adorable. There's, There's a bit of a snowstorm brewing out there, and Johnson is well aware that he's off 
kind of secluded alone in her cabin in this snowstorm. And so this is where we get that famous song, Baby It's Cold Outside. This is not where we get that song, although it kind of fits. It fits exactly. I think this is, uh, I think that is where we get this song. Not a Puccini song. So while you were operating the board, I, yes. um, I did some web research. Did you? Yes. And David Belasco? Yes. Whose book and play this is based on? From 1873 to 1874, he worked in Virginia City, Nevada. And this is a quote ah. from his time there. Ah. He found, quote, more reckless women and desperados to the square foot than anywhere else in the world. So and he knew we, these people. And here we have a reckless woman and a desperado trapped together in a cabin in a snowstorm. I don't think she's being reckless. Okay, well, just to have him over she is reckless. doesn't actually know anything about him. No, she really doesn't. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But she thinks he's nice. Except that one of the two plots in literature is that a stranger comes to town and two people have come to town the same day. That's right. This terrible desperado bandito and the man that she fell in love with a few weeks prior and they haven't been seen in the same room together. Oh, I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that might be a problem. And so the flirting is pretty intense. The flirting is pretty intense, but I, I, I want to point out one of the first opening gambits is he's looking around this little cabin, and he can't help but notice there are a lot of books. It's not just the Bible that she reads from. She has lots and lots of books. And he asks her, so, and he says he's, he's observant, so you like to read? And she does like to read. He's a man of the world. Would you like me to send you some books? Flirting with books, as as in the Virginian. I was reminded of the Virginian. She sends him the books in the Virginian. Molly, the, yes. the school marm, yes. sends him the books. And he likes that too, doesn't he? Yes. Isn't that lovely? We like our, our romantic characters to be literate, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a world in which... Books were rare and expensive, and not that many people, you know, had them. And for them to share this love of literature is just one more a commonality that leads to their view that it is fate. That's right. That's right. And she, she specifically asks him for love stories. Minnie, who who showers all of this love, motherly, sisterly love, I would say almost on all these miners who come to the saloon, she's hungry for romantic love. Not the kind of force it on you, crude love that the sheriff is Has trying. Has an offer, yes. Yeah, she doesn't want that. She wants the kind of romantic love that she knows exists in the love stories. She and wants committed love. She does. She does. And she even at, says to Dick Johnson, she says, for me, love is an eternal thing. I won't ever be able to understand how someone can love a person and desire her for only one hour. And Johnson comes back, well, I think you're wrong. There are some women whom we would desire for only one hour, but then want to die. And she's just teasing with him. Really? How many times have you died, Mr. Johnson? Any thoughts on that? Well, she thinks that he fears commitment, which mm -hmm. is why he can't be with her for the long term. And the real reason why he can't be here for the long term is because the entire town has armed itself 
and is standing outside the cabin now to gun him down. Oh, you mean he knows why uh, Ramirez and Johnson have not been seen in the room together? Because yes. they might just, yeah. So, yes. all right, spoiler. We maybe <laughs> should tell everyone he is the bandito in case you haven't figured that out already. But he is falling in love with Minnie, and he has her in a very close embrace at this point, doesn't he? So much so that she says, oh, Mr. Johnson, you're going to squash my rose. Yes, we that, should we should point out that the, the text and subtext mm, is so overt here yes. that I'm not sure, I mean, technically subtext can't be on the nose, but I think the subtext is, is on the nose <laughs> as she talks about the kiss and as the rapture, you know, builds. And she says, waves. Mr. Johnson, go slowly before one asks for an arm, ask for a hand. And he says, the lips deny when the heart concedes. And at this point, Minnie turns to Wokely, who's tidying up around the house and says, uh, Wokely, you can leave now. Goodbye. Go home. <laughs> go away. Bye. She's been sextiled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the last we see of her. That's yeah. She's she doesn't come back. She's she can she understands the orders that she's operating her there. Mm. Yeah, no, it is uh, it is a, a beautiful romantic interlude. It really is the the heart of the opera well, and the minutes of of their beautiful duets about how much they desire each other and his realization as to why they can't come together. But there's also this Jane Austen aspect to it that you know not fully explored in the opera is her issue, which is that while she is this beautiful woman, socially skilled, widely read, she, for some reason, suffers lack of self-esteem. And everyone adores her. It's this interesting thing. Everyone loves Minnie. But she hates herself. And so because and no she one hates, loves Minnie. So because she hates herself, she doesn't feel that he could actually love her. Well, but he also, so there's all this banter about a kiss. He's asking for a kiss and she's never been kissed. And she's never been kissed. And at some point, as an audience member, you're beginning to think, are we talking about a kiss or something more? So they're talking about this kiss, and they're talking about loving each other. And he suddenly realizes, I don't know, after, can we do this? Can we do this? And he says, and I think this is the, the Jane Austen aspect that you're talking about, where there's a comment made and they both feel they understand it exactly, but they clearly do not understand it in the same way, where he says, Minnie, it's a hopeless dream. Right, because she thinks she's beneath him and he thinks he's about to be gunned down in the snow. Exactly, exactly. And it's a little bit heartbreaking if you've, if you've gone with the story, because this is Minnie who is makes so many people happy and wants to be part of a love story and just hasn't yet and thinks maybe, maybe she might be. And so she finally decides to relent and let Johnson give her the kiss that he's been, that he's been begging for. We should take a shot because the kiss, the first kiss, is another critical convention of rom-coms. That's right. In fact, what he says, he says, purify my lips with your kiss. And she says, my love, make me worthy of you. It's this just big swelling of emotion and this culmination of their grand desire, the two of them, as they embrace and they kiss. And it's just this passion that it's just, ah. Uh, 
but it's over very quickly. And he drops to his knees, yeah. satisfied. Yes. It always goes quickly the first time. First right? time. Yeah. So uh, what could go wrong? This is all good. What could go wrong? Oh, there's the posse. Oh, there's the posse. So she has to hide him. And why does he think she's hiding him? Yeah, they hear they hear voices. Well, they hear voices and she thinks, oh, oh, well, those are the guys out. They, I'm here all alone. They're out to protect me. You better hide because can't have a man in my cabin. That looks bad. So she kind of puts him in the back room. And is room. he okay with hiding? He's for sure okay with hiding because... Because they've come to kill him. Yeah. He knows he's also the bandit. <laughs> so... So they come in. They continue with this what misunderstanding. Does she, what does she learn when they come in? Well, she learns. She thinks she's protecting the fact that she's got a guy in the closet. She learns, and uh, Sheriff Jack Rance is very happy to rub it in her face. Oh, this guy you were sweet on? Turns out he's not Dick Johnson from Sacramento. He's a Ramirez, the bandit, who was there to steal all of the gold from all of your friends. So she sends away the posse, saying that she's fine. Yeah. And then what happens to the lovers when he comes out of the closet? Well, we're going to hear some pretty angry soprano singing. Let's, uh, let's listen to that. Yeah, let's listen to some pretty angry soprano singing. This is Minnie letting Dick Johnson Ramirez know how she feels. Because she let him kiss her. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, and she's not very happy. No. So she tells him to leave the cabin. Yep. Which is sending him to his death because she knows that the posse is just outside. That's right. He tries to defend himself to her. But she's mad enough that she actually wants him dead. That's what she tells and him. sends him to his death. She kicks him out and... Shots ring out. Shots ring out because up on the mountaintop is the sheriff. And... He crawls back into the cabin, bleeding. Well, yeah, and even before that, she actually sings a bit of a song where she's in there knowing that the shots have been fired, and she's telling herself, yeah, I heard the guns. What do I care? Cold. Let's listen to that a little bit.
non chiudete la porta, devo uscire, no, entro, no, entro. non chiudete, no, voglio uscire, entro, no, entro. no, se questo perito lo scondete qui, no, sei perito, ma scondetevi, scondetevi, aprite la porta, voglio, voglio uscire, no, 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 Welcome back to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. We're listening to Puccini's Girl of the Golden West. And we're nearing the end of Act 2. We're in Minnie's cabin and the wounded Dick Johnson, a.k.a. the Bandito Ramirez, is shot and bleeding in Minnie's cabin. Minnie's taken him back in and realized that her love for him is stronger than her hate, disappointment, anger and she wants to help him well this would this would kind of fall perhaps under the category of too little too late uh, she did just <laughs> send him to his death and she did <laughs> this, is, this is interesting I think because yeah. there is a difference seeing this today and seeing this in 1910 Yeah, and the difference are the movie westerns we, at the time, people might have been exposed to some of the, the, the dime Western novels. They might have been exposed to the Virginian. But certainly in Europe, the audience would not have had an understanding of, of the, you know, the genre conventions you know, eight years after the Virginian came out. Anything like a, like a modern audience would. So to a modern audience, Westerns are about the, the value of justice and justice. And the bandito has been killed. So the Western is over because justice has been restored. And I think it's a little jarring to a modern audience that the opera isn't over because against expectations that setting many of the plot details, that it's a sheriff, that it's a bandito, that there's a gunfight has created, the point at which justice is restored to the community and the bandito has taken two shots in her mass, that the story would end. Right. He's not killed, though. He's just bleeding. But in 1852, <laughs> yeah. uh, in a snowstorm, yeah. in a mountain cabin yeah. outside a mining camp, two shots in the chest would probably take you down. Yeah. So 
What happens now is she hides him in the attic. Right, because it takes a little while for it's the, for the sheriff, sheriff to who, come down from the mountain. Right, and, and again, she hides him, and uh, she hides him not better than last time. N- yeah, yeah, she will not just in the back room where but she knows he'll look, but up in the attic. And the sheriff comes, and she convinces the sheriff he's not there. Yeah, uh, she's a pretty cruel cucumber, then, by the way. When he's there, he originally thinks, "Oh, maybe he's not around." But then blood starts dripping through the ceiling. Oh yeah, that's heartbreaking. That's kind of heartbreaking. At which point the sheriff hauls him down and prepares to kill him. But the sheriff has a weakness. He's a, a weakness? gambler. Oh, and Minnie knows his weakness. So Minnie says, this is your choice. Sure, you can kill him. Or, if you want to, we'll play poker. And oh. If I win, he's mine. And if you win, you get him and me. Because she points out, hey, none of us is an angel. I'm a saloon keeper, you're a gambler, this guy's a bandit, we're all sinners. Yeah, all right, a game of poker. And the sheriff goes for it. Goes for it, because that's his weakness. She's identified his weakness and she's exploited his weakness. Yeah. And she cheats the card game and she wins. The sheriff goes off in a huff. Ugh. And she holds the dying man as the curtain drops. Oh no. Yes. All right, but there's another act to come. Which is quite surprising, actually. <laughs> but if we if we have enough time at the end, yes, I will tell you why I think there's another act. Why act three yes. is there? Yes. All right, well, there is an act three yet so to come. if we have some time at the end, I'll tell you why I think there's another act. All right, so act. don't turn off your radios. <laughs> there is act three. <laughs> All right, so All right. Um, how does act three open? Well, Act Three opens on our, I would say a town, a town street, Camp Street, Camp Street. It's a pretty ramshackle affair, actually. Not a very, yeah, not a very beautiful place. But it opens on our street, and they're hoping that they find this this bandito. And the sheriff is kind of a grumpy guy because he's honoring his bet to Minnie because he may be a lot of things. And he may, by the way, we, the one thing you didn't mention when you retold that story is he does, before she has the insight to exploit his weakness and propose the game of poker, he tries to take her by force, physically. She's able to resist him, wiggle out, and hold a gun on him. So let's let's not forget that badness of his. He's, but he's, he's not a nice person. He's not a nice person. No. So he's being grumbly, and he's waiting to see if Ashby, our Wells Fargo agent, who doesn't understand why the sheriff has backed off, by the way, because he is an honorable gambler, at least. Ashby and all of his men are still after the bandito. So Ashby delivers him to town to the judgment of the camp. Yeah, and the camp doesn't take a long time to come to judgment, do they? They're already putting the rope over the... Right. There's not really a, a trial or anything vaguely resembling a trial. Well, this is the leader of the gang that tried to take their gold, who has uh, killed and robbed everyone in the area for an extended period of time. Uh, yeah. This is this is evil. This is the force that is threatening their society. And they have the ability now to take out the leader of that. Right. Right, and and the miners that we've seen before, the ones who are sitting at Minnie's feet, 
hearing the Bible lesson, you know, you've sacked the whole countryside, you've, you've robbed and you've killed, and Johnson is protesting, no, no. And they, they go on to list various places and people that have been killed. And he's like, no, no, it wasn't me. No, it wasn't me. And he says, I was a thief, but never a murderer. So the, the camp men have been portrayed uh, quite sensitively. There's a lot of empathy here. They're not the rough, violent, racist, testosterone-filled men they are in the John Adams uh, opera of the same name. <laughs> no. These are people working hard, mm-hmm. uh, missing their moms. Yep, and their dogs. And their dogs, sending the money back home. Yep. They drink peacefully, work a nine-to-five day, and here this, this guy has come in with his gang to take their money and, and kill their friends. Yeah. And he's saying, yeah, my gang took your money and killed your friends, but I was, I was asking other people to actually shoot your friends. I didn't actually shoot your friends myself. Well, one of the things we didn't mention about Act 2 is he explains to Minnie, hey, I didn't do any of that. It was my dad's gang. My dad died recently, and what my dad left me when he died is he left me the gang. And so... Because my family was there and I had to take over the family business, I had to become the leader of the gang. So, so the, the family business was, was organized crime. Uh-huh. I took it over. Uh-huh. Uh, there has been a certain amount of theft and robbery and murder since I took it over. Yeah. None of which I really feel responsible or sorry about. Yeah. And so they, they hear him out and it's pretty clear that hanging is the right answer. They, they, yeah, they all, it's pretty unanimous amongst them. So, uh. Up he goes, and the noose goes around his neck. I think we should listen to that. Let's listen to that. Sheriff Lorenz, consegno a voi quest'uomo, perché sia nato alla comunità, faccia essa giustizia. Buona fortuna, o mio bel gentiluomo. E così, Mr. Johnson, come va? Scusate se v'abbiamo disturbato. Oh, che facciate presto? Oh, in quanto a questo, bastano sbrigarci. E quello che desidero, e che desiderano tutti, vero? Hai saccheggiato tutto il paese! La tua banda l'ha rubato ed ucciso! No, no! Quadra di monte lei bandito, fuma sagrata dalle pance gialle, di quelle tue canaglie messicane, spugnarasse alle spalle il povero Tommy. No, non è vero, sì! Non ho messo la palle, ucciso un postiglione! Come si vesti? No! Morte, fuggesti! No! Morte, 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 morte! Maledizione a me, oi ladro, ma assassino mai! 
gli occhi il sorriso di Minia di fermarti. Anche lei ci ha rubato. Il ladro, il ladro, il ladro torre di ragazze. Those were the songs of the of the miners, of the people who feel that they've been so wronged by Johnson and his gang of bandits. And now Johnson, Ramirez, now Johnson would like a word to express his feelings before he dies. Yes, a few last wishes. One main last wish. Which is that many not be told that he was hung but that she be told that he's far away and that she should wait patiently for him to return. <laughs> well, not to wait patiently, but he he doesn't want her to think that he he died right there in the town. He says she should believe that I am free and I am far away never to return. Interesting. This song we are told was sung by Italian soldiers during World War 1. It's a little that's a little bittersweet. It's very bittersweet. Yeah. So let's listen to this this tenor aria, by the closest thing that this opera has to an aria, by Johnson Ramirez. She should believe that I am free and far away.
altro da dire nulla andiamo to Opera for Everyone on KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. We have just heard the last request from Dick Johnson that Minnie believes he's free and far away. And now the townsfolk, the men, all say, hang him now. Hang him now. Hang him now. Let's play that. No, <laughs> I heard a soprano. Because Minnie comes in. Minnie. Minnie shows up. What does she say? Minnie says, who will dare to hang him? And Rance says, justice demands it. And she says, what sort of justice do you speak about? And Rance tries to intimidate her. 
and nobody's going to intimidate Minnie. No siree. She says, I'm not afraid of you, Rance. Not not before and, and not now. And Rance is trying to whip up the miners to do what he can't do because he's bound by, by honor. And Minnie, she's taking this motherly role of hers to that strong point that we all know mothers can do. And she intimidates the miners. And she's like, uh-uh. I'm not going to let you do this, boys. You are not going to hang this man. But they don't crumple that easily. This and, is pretty tense. Guns are drawn. Oh, yeah. He's still got the noose He's around got the his noose neck. Around his heck. She's got a gun on the sheriff. The sheriff's got a gun on her. Everybody else has got guns on, and a guy on her. And comes up to her and he grabs her rifle from her. Yeah. And she pulls out her... Derringer. Her, her handy little derringer and holds it to her own temple. And she says, well, fine, I'll shoot myself. And they're aghast and appalled at that. Yes. Can we can we stop for a moment? And, sure. And take it out? So 1910, what else was happening in the world? We know she's an archetype. What's she an archetype for? Why? What's going on here, really? What do you have in mind? 1910 was when Alice Paul, coming back to the U.S. after serving time in a London prison for suffrage activities in England, addressed the National American Women's Suffrage Association. Five years later... They had a giant meeting at the Belasco Theater. At the Belasco Theater? David Belasco, the author of this play's theater, he hosted them. Mm. One of the key reasons for giving women the vote wasn't because people thought it was fair. One of the key reasons for giving women the vote was because people thought that it would be temporary influence on the excesses like wars caused by men. That is true. So as the female archetype here, we're wondering, why, why isn't this a Western? In a Western, they would hang him. He's bad. Why isn't this a rom-com? In a rom-com, she probably wouldn't have sent him off to his death. The value here isn't justice and justice. The value here isn't, are they together? Are they apart? The value here is, is there civilization? Are matters like justice, mercy, redemption handled at a higher order? Do we have rough frontier justice? Or do we aspire to something more? And it's her willingness to threaten her own suicide that essentially sways the town from the desire for vengeance to the desire for a higher justice. Well, it's more than her threatening her own suicide. That gets them their attention and they're willing to listen when she threatens her own suicide. They're willing to listen, but then she, she moves on from just that. It's not only the threat of suicide. She points out individual after individual after individual in the town, and she says, I sat with you when you were delirious with fever and you hallucinated and you thought I was your little sister. I sat with you and I held your hand when you couldn't even write the words and I helped you write letters home. I sat with you when you were crying when your grandmother died. I sat with you, you know, and she enumerates time after time when she showed mercy and kindness to them and helped them through dark times that they might not have gotten through without her and she shows the love and compassion or she reminds them of the love and compassion that she extended to them and she's asking for love and compassion and she says to them this man is mine I need this man I get to have some love in my life and she reminds them of their better selves and she she puts down her gun at one point even the little tiny gun that she held to her temple. 
And she grabs her Bible and she holds it up high, reminding us of the lessons she was teaching in the first act. Uh, to your point about civilization. She's and essentially buying his freedom with her social capital. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. Interesting that you're tying it into the suffrage movement. But you're right. That is one of the arguments made for giving women the vote at that time, that they would be a tempering influence on men's aggressive nature. Shall we listen to the song? Let's do that. This one will begin with, not one of you ever said enough. Not ever said enough, but ever said enough. (laughs) And then she says, you want to forgive him. So she's encouraging them to extend forgiveness, even to this man who's part of this awful, awful gang. final song of Girl of the Golden West. Minnie has amazingly convinced this town of rough-and-tumble men to extend forgiveness to this bandit that she loves so well, Dick Johnson Ramirez, this man who she claims is hers, that she's won in a poker game, as it were, <laughs> with, with, the, uh, with the sheriff. And even Ashby can't fight against it because he's turned it over to the community. So Sonora, one of the miners, the first one that she convinces to extend mercy, says, Oh, Minnie, your words, those are from God. You love him like no one in the world. In the name of all of us, I give him to you. And Johnson says, as he clasps Sonora's hand, thank you, thank you all, brothers. And Sonora's just gently weeping, Minnie, Minnie, goodbye. And everyone, except Rance, says, oh, you'll never return again, but goodbye. God be with you. 
my sweet land, goodbye California, Minnie and Johnson say. So they're putting all of this behind them. They know they must leave. And they're saying goodbye forever to the gold fever, the gold rush, this life of the mining camps. And there's no horses in sight, but they're essentially riding off into the sunset together, the two of them. Who knows what's going to become of these men without her there, but they're letting her go. They've offered forgiveness, they've taken her lesson, and off they go. She gets her happy ending. And this is, I just want to say, this is so different from other Puccini stories. This is not like Butterfly or Tosca. This this Rance, who's so like Scarpia in so many ways. This doesn't end the way Tosca does, where poor Tosca, her man is actually, he's not an honorable man, where he gets shot in the end and she has to throw herself off a parapet. Minnie, her, her bad guy, Baritone, he honors his bargain and she gets to ride off in the sunset with her her love. In fact, they often play with that with the staging as he retrieves his gun. He has one last chance to shoot them both in the back and he just watches them right away. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. So thanks so much for joining us for another edition of Opera for Everyone. I'm Pat Wright. And I'm Greg.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I've been your host, Pat Wright, joined by our founding host, Keely Heron, and our good friend, Greg. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our Opera for Everyone podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page. We all know that opera can be challenging, but everyone loves a good story, and a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make opera for everyone.